Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. In the Old Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles on page 629. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Prepare our hearts, O God, to hear and accept your word. Through your Holy Spirit, quiet our minds and silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will for our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, where they continue to flow, all things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and chasing after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but chasing after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord be with you. You know, one of the verses in Scripture that helps me in my work as a pastor comes from, and I I hate to do this to you, but it comes from Paul's farewell statements to the church at Ephesus. So I'm not going back to Ephesus, but I'm just going to reference that again. 
Paul's on his last, what some people say is his last or his third missionary journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He stops at Ephesus, and he has this long meeting with the leaders and the members of the congregation, and one of the words he says to them greatly informs how I think of my work as a pastor. And it's in chapter 20 of the book of Acts and verse 27. He says, while I was with you, I did not shrink back. I did not hesitate to tell you or proclaim the whole purpose and the counsel of God. In other words, I think what Paul is saying is, look, when I was with you, I tried my best, my bottom best, to really mine, to unearth all the treasures, all the wisdom of God that is found in God's word so that your faith can be strengthened. And I want you to know, I believe my brother Henry and all of our elders and our leaders here at First Prayers, that's what we're committed to. We're committed to doing that. And so I would be bold enough to say then that the longer you remain at First Prayers, I believe the deeper you will go into God's word because we're committed to lifting up all of the wisdom and the counsel of God's word. We believe that the greatest resource for spiritual growth is scripture engagement. I mean, you've heard the song, I've heard the song when I was in Sunday school, when some of you were in Sunday school, we heard the song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you will... Was I the only one in Sunday school? Or has that, what did my mom say, the cat took your tongue? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will... All right, this whole middle section just looked at me. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will... Well, I I actually believe it's true. And really, this is my motivation for wanting us to take a very small dive into the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a very short dive that we're taking because I believe that even in the book of Ecclesiastes, you will be encouraged in your spiritual growth. We're not reading through the whole book, but we're going to just cover sections of it. You need to know, though, that this book has been pilloried, it has been blackballed, it has been rejected throughout just time. Um, Some people call it the black sheep of the scriptures. Some people find it negative and it's nihilistic. I mean, you heard the song that the praise band was just singing, and I I really thank them. Thank you guys for all the work that you put into preparing that song. That song actually is a mirror of the words of Ecclesiastes, dust in the wind. People don't like that view of life. It's pessimistic. It contradicts truth. It's sub-Christian, one person said. It's the most difficult book in all of Scripture, so we just ignore it and find more pleasant chores. Well, I beg to differ, because if you are seeking for truth, and that's a word you will hear me use a few times throughout the message this morning, and we saw it in verse 12. The the, the person says, "I, I, I set myself to seek. If you're seeking for truth, you will not shy away from this book. And let me just give you some quick reasons why you don't want to shy away from the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes through the month of August. It's not a difficult read. It's 12 chapters, and it will just rock your world. 
One of the reasons why I would encourage you to read it is because it's very honest. It's very honest about the troubles of life. And some of us would prefer to live in a bubble, to live sort of in, an, in, a, in, a, in another universe and ignore the realities of this life. And Ecclesiastes says, no, life is troubling, life is tough. And the sooner you get to that place, the more you'll begin to seek for hope. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that one of the reasons why so many people are disillusioned about life, it's because they hold on to this myth about the American dream and what life should give to them. And no wonder then we don't know how to handle the tragedies and the unfairness and the contradictions of life. Ecclesiastes will help us to do that. Ecclesiastes warns us at the end. This is the other reason why you want to read it, because there's a big warning in it that we will end up losing if we settle for the world's version of the good life instead of God's version of the abundant life. A third reason why I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes is because I believe it helps us to worship God. So yes, the book has a feel of mystery and otherworldliness about it. And for some of us, God is too much like our chum We've got God figured out, and there's no mystery anymore in God. When you read Ecclesiastes, it brings you to your knees. Despite all the negative press about the book, the book teaches many great truths about God, and in it you will see God presented as the mighty creator, the sovereign God, the king over the universe, the transcendent one, the all-powerful ruler. And If you want to grow, read your Bible prayer every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You read, and you will encounter this mysterious God in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's the other reason why I want you to read it. If you're still deciding what to believe and what not to believe, you've come to the right book. Because this is a book, I believe, for skeptics. It is a book for the agnostics. It's a, peop it's a book for people in a quest or on a quest to know the meaning the meaning of the why I am here and the meaning of life and for people who are open to God but who are not sure where to go next, this is a good place to start. So I like to refer to Ecclesiastes as a, as a back door for believers who sometimes have their doubts. So welcome, welcome, welcome. But it also serves as a gateway for some people to enter into a relationship with the God who made them, who loves them, and who knows them. So as you open up the book, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, which is what our dear brother Greg just read for us, it sets the tone for the whole book. It kind of sets out the argument. The book is written by, by in the Greek, it's called Kohelet. The word could mean a teacher comes from a, a verb in Hebrew that means to, to assemble or to gather. It's, it's a word that could be described uh, someone who is gathering information, or some people believe, no, it doesn't mean that. This person is actually gathering people, and that's why they refer to this person in the book of Ecclesiastes as a preacher or a teacher. I like to think of this person as somebody who convenes. It could be people, it could be ideas, seeking for truth, searching for truth. The book is filled with many observations and questions and concerns, and that's why it's a challenging book. So this teacher is searching, wanting to know the meaning. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's the point of my existence? 
And as I was reading through the book again, I thought about Socrates when he said that the, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. Some of the people that I love to speak to the most are not people who say, I have it all figured out. I love to talk to people like my brother. I love to talk to people like my father when, when he was alive because all of those men in my life were questioning, questioning, how do you know? How do you know? What's the meaning of life? The unexamined life is not worth living. And that's why it's important as you open up this book and you begin reading it that you also contend with what I think is the most important word in this book. It's the word vanity. If you want to understand Ecclesiastes, you've got to pay attention to this word. It's mentioned over 38 times just in this book alone. And the book means, yes, as we heard in that song, it means dust in the wind. The word vanity, it could mean dust in the wind. It could mean that which is empty, vapor, breath. What the teacher is doing, the teacher is summing up human existence and is declaring that it is like breath. It's ephemeral. It's temporal. And then he goes through the next 12 chapters to prove his point. Now notice what he, does, what he does in these 18 verses. He gives us four observations about people. And he asks one of the first questions in the book, what do we gain? What do we gain from all of our hard work? What do we profit from all of our hard work? Do we have anything to show from our profit? And why does he say that? Because the teacher looks out at civilization as he sees it, and he just makes what I think is a spot-on observation that generations come and generations go, and as these generations go and as these generations come, what happens is we forget the achievements of those who came before us, and he says only the earth remains. One generation may be rising, but as that generation is rising, one is dying off. And that generation gap, it never seems to change. He makes observations about nature. And as I read that section, I picture the teacher maybe standing by the Mediterranean Sea. I picture the teacher maybe sitting out on a balcony somewhere and looking out on nature and sees the cycle of the sun coming and going in the morning and in the evening, feeling the blowing of the wind, blowing in the various directions each and every day, watching the river as it emptied into the sea, and he says the sea is not full, and the pattern seems to be the same day after day. He makes observations about human experiences in verses 8 through 11, and he says life is like a treadmill. What's the point? Life seems so repetitive. It's this never-ending cycle. And in our culture, we would say, if it's a treadmill, how do I get off? All things are wearisome, he says. The eye is never satisfied. There's nothing new under the sun. People of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. He's looking out on the world. He's observing. He's fully alive. He's examining the full meaning of things. And then finally, he makes an observation about wisdom. In verses 12 through 18, the teacher searched for meaning through study, expansion of the mind, intellect, the acquisition of knowledge. Maybe he went back to more school. 
and got more degrees and read more books and studied under all the great philosophers of his day, got more mentors, but in the end, he still calls it a chasing after the wind. And he finally says in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. And I said, you know, when you, when you go back and read the full arc of the scriptures, you do get the sense that this is part of the fallen nature of humanity. Because back in the garden, God told the man and the woman that if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. They were thirsting for knowledge. They were thirsting for, for, for wisdom and understanding. But instead of finding it through God, they sought it on their own. And I think from that point onward, human beings have been seeking knowledge, seeking understanding, and it's not slaking their thirst. Ian Provan, who writes in the New International Version Application Commentary, explains why. He says, one of my earliest memories as a university student is of standing at a party watching an extremely bright philosophy major, a bottle of vodka in one hand, sitting against a wall while banging his head rhythmically against that wall. He had thought deeply, and he would have known what Ecclesiastes 1.18 means if, you, if he had ever read it. Empirical inquiry, which starts from myself, and what this author is saying is that's part of the problem, why all the search in knowledge doesn't provide satisfaction, because empirical inquiry starts from ourselves. It attempts to move outward, to embrace what is true, and he says that can only do certain things for us. They're not the most important things. So the purpose, I think, this teacher wants us to see, he wants us to feel the full weight, the full weight of life being lived under the sun, the futility of living life under the sun. The Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner said this, that the function of Ecclesiastes is to bring us to the point where we begin to fear. And I think that's a good thing. We begin to fear that such a comment, all is vanity, is the only honest one. So if it's true that everything is dying, then we have some important decisions to make. Let me just tell you two quick decisions you could make today as we launch our reading of Ecclesiastes. One decision you could make then is to, after, as you read the book, is to seek what is real. Seek what is real. So you, you, you see that phrase several times throughout the book, life under the sun. I think what the author is saying to us is that indeed, there is a version of reality when it's viewed only under the sun. Life under the sun is one way of looking at life, but there is another reality. God in heaven rules over the sun. We're not limited to just the terrestrial. With the help of God's word, with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can see things from another realm, from another reality, the celestial reality, if you will. And the reason why the teacher shows us the weariness of our existence, making us more and more disillusioned with life, is so that we would understand that as long as our reality is fixated under the sun, we're going to miss ultimate reality. 
Life under the sun has a view on sex. Life under the sun has a view on money. Life under the sun has a view on success. Life under the sun has a view on the purpose of the human body. Life under the sun seeks to answer every important question that you and I could ever ask, but it doesn't get us there. If you truly want to understand life, we have to go to the one who holds ultimate reality, and that is the living God. Jeremiah says this about God. If you seek me, there is that word again. If you seek me, if you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. That is the promise that God gives to every agnostic, to every atheist, to every doubter, that if you're truly looking for the truth and you seek for that truth with all your heart, God said, I'm not a God who is hidden. I'm a God who is near. And I'll make myself clear, I'll make myself real to you if you are seeking. If you seek me, you're going to find me. So I would encourage you, seek what is real. The second choice that you could make then is to follow the ultimate teacher. You see, Ecclesiastes is just one of many, many great teachers. You could go back to the prophets, you could go back to Moses, you could just go back to all the great teachers who have come before us. But the book of Hebrews tells us that God has spoken to us at various times and in many ways and in many places through all of these great teachers, but the scriptures tell us that in these last days, God has spoken to us through the ultimate teacher, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible describes Jesus as the wisdom of God. That's why the people called him master. They called him rabbi. They called him teacher. When the disciples were questioned by Jesus, are you going to leave me too? Some people had left Jesus because of his teaching. They said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And he told his followers that if you follow me, I will give you life. And that's what Jesus did. He came into our world as God's answer to that question when life seems meaningless. He says, I've come to give them life and life abundantly. And life is not meaningless. Life is not purposeless. Life is not empty. When we, when we follow the ultimate teacher, he will show us indeed that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So I have to share this with you because on Friday, amidst all the many things that were going on and all that I had to do, I saw some emails coming in in response to the newsletter that we had sent out regarding the introduction to this book. And I just want to read some of the excerpts of what some of these people wrote back to me. One person said, I was excited to see the planned series on Ecclesiastes. It is one of my favorite books of the Bible and was the very first book I studied after becoming a Christian, listen to this, at the age of 15. I believe it played an important role in my career choice and ministry activities. And the person who wrote this is actually a medical doctor here in our church. As a 15-year-old, the big questions that were rattling around in my brain all centered around, here it is, why am I here? I was concerned about the injustices I saw and the apparent indifference that the world showed. It seemed that everyone was telling each other and me that we should work hard and we could focus all of our energy on having fun, grabbing all that we can, for, for that is all there is to life. 
it didn't feel right to me. What about people who can't grab all the good things life has to offer? Another person wrote, I still remember reading this book as an 18-year-old. Now, it's interesting that we assume that this book is so hard, and so it's only for older people who have been through graduate school. But here we have two teenagers in this church who read this book, and their lives were changed. At the end of the book, this person said, I read these words. This is in chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And this person said, a light bulb came on in my mind as clear as day. I heard God saying to me, give me the best years of your life. Give me the strength of your youth. Don't wait until your old age. And this person wrote, I gave myself to God that day as best as I could. And I said, God, my life is yours. The person went on and said, the other verse that struck me was chapter 12 and verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And this person closed by saying, I knew then as I know now that God sees me and knows me. My central duty in life is to fear God and keep his commandments, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Someone said that every person has three selves, the private self, the public self, and the secret self. And our three selves, this person said, will be searched and examined by God. I read Ecclesiastes, and every time I read it, I do feel like I am dust in the wind, and there's nothing wrong with that, because I think ultimately what this book does is it's a call to humility, because we human beings, we tend to get so puffed up because of some good fortune that has come our way. We get puffed up by our degrees and our money and our accomplishments, and what Ecclesiastes says is, look, with all that you have, you're still setting your sights too low. Ecclesiastes is like, and I heard Mark Laberton say this, it's like smelling salts that just wakes us up. It arouses us from our stupor. It shocks us into remembering that we're mortals, we're dust, we're vapor. And maybe our most important step then is to fear God and to keep his commandments and to trust the one who is eternal. And this is my prayer for all of us today that this book, like smelling salts, will wake up first prayers to the reality of who God is and so save us from the lies of this world. Next Sunday, I'd like to tackle what I see the teacher going after in chapter two. It's one of the world's lies. More stuff, more stuff doesn't equal more happiness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say,